Well, good morning. Thank you so much. I want to welcome everyone, those who are joining us online. Thank you for joining us, those at Platinum and our parents together with their kids just behind me. It's just an incredible time to be here. My name is Daniel, one of the pastors, as you have heard. It's a delight to be the one bringing the word this beautiful day that God has given to us. I want to start with a question. The question is, have you ever waited for something for so long? And it kept on being and you felt that it was so long that that which you're waiting for never seemed to come or that person that you're waiting for never seemed to arrive. And the tension of longing to see and to have that which you're waiting for becomes longer and longer, whether you are in a queue and when you jump to this queue, this queue becomes, it's going faster and you want to change and go to the other queue. And you feel the tension of wanting and longing for that which you want. Well, in 2020 was the year that my wife and I came to Dubai. That was an interesting year, right? It was. But in April, even in the midst of everything was going on, my wife came and told me that we were expecting a baby, that we were pregnant, and we were excited. You know, we were excited. I was excited to receive the news. At the same time, we were very anxious. We were anxious because we had struggled having children. And so we knew that with this news, there is what we know. And so the nine months that were ahead of us felt like nine years. Because every month we would go to hospital asking ourselves, is the baby okay? Are we going to make it? Are we going to finally see our baby? And it felt long. By the grace of God, in January 2021, we go to hospital, it was 17th. And the whole day my wife labors, only for the doctor to say that we needed to, she needed to go to the theater for an emergency CS. Let me tell you, as I was waiting there together with my mother-in-law, that was the longest wait of my life. Because I knew that we had struggled, and yet we have come to this, that finally we get to see our baby. But the wait felt so long. And I was there, the only thing that could come to mind was to sing hymns. Because I couldn't sing any other songs. You know, hymns are, are deep, you know, when you're singing hymns. And I butchered every word in, that, in, that, in, in the songs that I was singing. Because I would have a remix of the songs. I would start with one song and end up with three others all together. What you would call a mashup. <laughs> and I was there. And I, at the corner of my eye, I could see my mother-in-law, who is a stout Catholic with a rosary praying. I actually thought she was doing better than ours. <laughs> but we were there hoping and longing to see. And finally, I had a cry of a baby. And where we were, you know, there was, it was, you know, I could actually see that the nurse was coming. And so I was impatient, so I just peeped. And the baby passed, and I could tell, oh, that is an African baby. <laughs> you know? I wasn't sure that it was our baby, though. <laughs> but finally, the nurse came and said, hey, 
who is the father? <laughs> I was the father, so <laughs> I went and finally, finally, I could lay my eyes on our baby boy. Finally, that the long wait was worth waiting for. And I thank God, but even much so, that even our scripture today, it is worth it to wait for the King of Kings. That one day we are going to lay our eyes on Jesus Christ. That we are going to see him and we are going to know him. You see, the intention of our passage today is to encourage us. And also it is to give us hope on the coming of Jesus Christ. My prayer is that as you hear this word, that you leave this place saying, even so come, Lord Jesus, come. But it's also very important to remember that the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world was a time of amazing power, wonderful miracles, and astounding love and grace. You see, in sending Jesus into the world, God accomplished salvation for all who believe. God demonstrated his love for a lost and a dying world. God completed his perfect and profound plan for salvation, of salvation and redemption. And so we thank God for all that Jesus accomplished when he came for the very first time. But he left. But he don't just leave because in Acts chapter 19, verse 9 to 10, tells us how Jesus ascended back and left the church, you and I, to preach the gospel. When he left his people, he did not leave them without hope. He left them with a promise. So consider with me these amazing passages of scriptures. The first one is in Acts chapter 1, verse 11. It says, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you in heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Another scripture in John chapter 14, verse 1 to 3, is an amazing portion of scripture that I got the privilege to share uh, weeks ago. Scripture says, let not your hearts be what? Trouble. Believe in God, believe also in me. Because in my father's house, there are many rooms. If it was not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you myself. And where I, where I am, you may also. And so it is an encouragement that Jesus is coming back. So what I want us to do today, I want us to look at three main things that I see Paul encouraging the church in Thessalonians. They're actually called Thessalonica. He's encouraging them. And we become the second recipient. We become the people who receive this message. Number one, he's encouraging them to grieve with hope. Grieving with hope. What does that mean? How does that encourage us? Number two, he emphasizes that this hope comes because Jesus will come back. This is just like, you know, a sandwich. So the first part is grieve with hope. The second part is, which is the meat? Jesus is coming back. And the final part, he says, encourage one another with these words. So those three things we're going to see and pray 
that they find a place in our hearts. Number one, graving with hope. Verse 13 says, but do not, I do not want you to be uninformed. You see, the word uninformed tells you to know that he wants to tell them something. You see, to be uninformed is to be ignorant. He wants them to be aware of what he wants to teach them, especially about those who have fallen asleep. Now, it is important at this point to know that this is written in a context. The context is this church in Thessalonians were asking questions. And part of the question is, as Paul was preaching, he is telling them that Jesus is coming. For them, they believed the immediate coming of Jesus Christ, the imminent coming of Jesus Christ. And so their question was, what about our loved ones who have fallen or who have slept or who have died? What about them? And so Paul is informing them. He is teaching them. He does not want them to be ignorant about those who have gone. But more so, as they mourn, as they grieve, they should not grieve as though they do not have hope. That's why he says, do not be uninformed. You see, sleep was a common way to express death in the ancient world. But among the pagans, it was almost always seen as eternal sleep, that when you die, it is final. But to the Christians, it was sleep. That is where the help comes from. You see, Christians called death sleep, but they emphasized the idea of rest. You see, early Christians began to call their burial places cemeteries, which means dormitories or place of sleeping. Therefore, they knew, but then he is emphasizing and giving them, so you as you grieve, do it with hope. In 2018, we had traveled with my wife and we received really unfortunate news of the passing on of my father-in-law who is the father of my wife. It was a sad time, so we traveled back to Kenya and we mourned for one week. And remember during the burial, when finally the casket had to be lowered down, my wife and her father had an amazing relationship. And with all the children, our brothers and our, sist and, and our sister, and she broke down and she started crying and I was holding on to her. And people would come as a norm to come and encourage and say words of encouragement. And sometimes we really do not know what to say. Sometimes we say things as though we feel it, but it's very different. But they were quoting this scripture interestingly. In fact, one of the persons came and actually had the audacity, let me use that word, because she told my wife that you are the wife of the pastor. Why are you mourning like you do not have hope? Can you imagine? Of course, I was there holding on to her. She would look at me. You know the way your wife would look at you and tell you something and you know what she told you? <laughs> and so I continued to protect and tell them, hey, don't come, don't say. Because this scripture does not mean what we say it means. It does not tell us to forego grieving. You see, the death of a loved one deprives us of his or her company. So grief is both natural and appropriate. Jesus himself grieved. You see, 
In Hebrews, the Bible says, For we do not have a high priest who does not sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who was tempted in every way, yet without sin. He went through it. We can go through it. But as we go through it, we go through it because we have hope, for we have him. That's why the Bible here says that in verse 14, the word for, there is very important. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. That word for translated actually means if, if we believe. Because we cannot grieve with hope if we do not believe that Jesus died and rose again. By believing, we know that when he died and he was buried and he rose again. Did you know what happened? He conquered death. So that us, we do not die, but we just sleep. And that is a hope we hold on to. That is why scripture there is saying, do not grieve as though you do not have hope. The reason we have hope is because Jesus on the cross said it is all finished. But then he rose again. And he was alive. You see, Christ's death and resurrection constitutes the central belief of the Christian faith. This is, the, this is at the center of the gospel. This is why we believe that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe what? That he rose and died again. You will be saved. It is at the center of what we believe. Elsewhere, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 14. He says, if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in? It is in vain. Our faith is also in? In vain. But because of this very reason that Jesus died and rose again, we have hope. And this hope is only found in him. And so the big question today is also, is there life after death? Is this the end? Is there hope? Yes, there is hope, brothers and sisters. There is hope because death does not have the final say. Who does? Jesus has the final say. Everything begins with him and ends with him. And so our hope is in him. Even though we go through whatever we go through. The one with the final say is Jesus. And that's why then Paul comes to this point. In verse 16 he talks about that he is coming. That Jesus is coming back. But even as we think about Jesus coming back, I want us to reflect on how we view this because we have what we call the 1,000 years, which is found in the book of Revelation chapter 20. There are those of us who believe that Jesus is going to come back before the millennium. There are those of us who believe that Jesus is going to come back after the millennium. There are those of us who look at the millennium in figuratively, not literally. But whatever view that you hold, all of us evangelicals believe in one thing. What? Jesus is coming back. Amen. Whatever place that you're in and whatever you believe in is to know that Jesus is coming back. Verse 16 then says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven. When I was reading this, I started becoming excited because I started, my imagination started going all over. Look at this word. It says he will descend from heaven with what? With a cry of command. Now the cry of command 
What Paul is trying to say, because they understood, is just like a commander who is giving commands to his army. It is in that sense, that authority. Then with the voice of the archangels, not that Jesus will become an archangel, but it is emphasizing the power by which Jesus is going to come down. And with the sound of the trumpet of God, this trumpet, every time you see it, is a cry of war. It is a war cry. It is when they have been assembled together. So Jesus will not just come just like that. It is going to be spectacular. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be, you will not miss it. You will know when he comes, no matter where you're going to be. And so that causes me to ask this question because we get excited about the things of this world. We get pumped up about the, the things we have in this world. I do not know what you get pumped up about. Whether you go to a concert and the DJ is about to drop a beat, you're just waiting and the, and the tension is there, and then finally the beat drops and you go crazy, yeah. I do not know whether you're in the same, same concert and you're waiting for your best artist to come, and they're taking their time, but when they finally come, you get excited. Whatever it is that you entertain yourself with. For me, when I was growing up, I was a big fan of wrestling. How many know what I'm talking about? We used to call it WWF. Let me tell you, that when it was there, and you see the producers of wrestling did such an amazing job, just like the movies where you have the good guys and the bad guys. And sometimes the bad guys seem to have, it's like they are winning. And you're there thinking, who is going to come and bring justice? Because things are wrong and, and there is tension between. And finally you're thinking, what is going to happen? And you knew somebody is going to come down the aisle. You knew. But you're there waiting, but you knew, but you did not know who is going to come down. So me and my brother, we're asking ourselves, who is going to come? Who is going to come? And finally you hear somebody, if you smell, and we are like, yes! But the rock is going... Dwayne Johnson comes in, or John Cena, or whoever you like, and we are giving each other high fives. Oh, this would excite us so much and affect us so much that even after wrestling, you know the way the scripture says that do not be doers of, uh, do not be only hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. We looked at it the same way. We see it and then we do. We go for practicals. <laughs> and my mom knew. She would tell us, I do not want to hear anyone crying. <laughs> of course. You know, because my brother is small, I would tell him, come here. I would do like this. And <laughs> somebody obviously would cry and we would go to a mom. That is how much excited we were. It affected us. That we wanted, you know, we went into that mood. And this is acting. Even when you think about movies. For example, I'm a big fan of Transformers. I remember in one of the movies called The, the Age of Extinction. Optimus Prime is somewhere rusting away. And Mark Warbuck, who is a mechanic, comes in and he rescues and he's trying to, you know, to, to, to bring him back. And they're on their way to look for his friend. Optimus Prime is, is, is reaching out to his friends, saying, I'm calling all out of box, wherever you are. And then they come across another truck. Let me tell you what, what I felt. They come across another semi-truck. And Optimus Prime changes to this. And in my heart, when I'm there, I'm thinking, yes, yes. Because I knew 
that it's going down. One of the Autobox is now crying, he's shooting into the air. He's saying, he's back. Finally, hope is going to come back. And we get excited about these things. You may not be a fan of these movies or whatever movie it is that when you come out of the movies, you feel like you want to do what they do. It affects you. What about when we finally are going to lay our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ? What about finally when we are going to see the king of kings? If these things of the world causes us to feel this way, what about when one time all these things that we are longing for and waiting for are going to come to an end? You see, brothers and sisters, it is a long wait when we see and when we experience all the injustices around the world. It feels long, the tension of wanting justice to happen. When you hear some brothers from one corner of Africa are being denied visa because they come from that place, it is a long wait when you have loved ones in hospitals. It is a long wait when people are dying because of these natural calamities that are happening. That which is happening in Hawaii and their fires. That which is happening in India, their landslides and rains. That which is happening in Pakistan because of persecution. All this long wait that we feel, our scripture today is reminding us all that is going to come to an end when Jesus comes back. You see, one of, one of the most interesting facts about the return of Jesus is that there is more in the Bible about Jesus' second and final coming than about his birth or first coming. You see, the return of the Lord is referred to over 300 times in scripture. It must be important. But note that Paul is not emphasizing on a spiritual geography. He does not talk about going to heaven, but rather being with the Lord forever. You see, while it it excites us to think about seeing our loved ones, again, what thrills my heart is the knowledge that one day, I will see Jesus. I don't know what that does to you to know that you will see Jesus one day. You see, the last part of this verse, he says, we will always be with the Lord. We will always be with him. But the main point is that whatever the state of Christians, whether we are dead or alive, at the Lord's coming, they will always be with the Lord. This is the great reward of heaven, to be with Jesus, because death can't break our unity with Jesus. We will always be unified. We will always be with him. And that is the encouragement that whatever state that you're in, whatever it is that you may be going through, the hope we have is that when he finally comes, we shall be with him. You see, I will see the one who loved me more than his own life. I will see the one who died for me on the cross. I will see my redeemer, the friend who stuck closer than a brother. I will see the crucified risen Lord. I will see him. I will see the one who became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That finally, as I long for one day, 
I will see him and I will be with him. You see, finally, we are going home when Jesus comes. Think about with me. When you think about home, what comes to mind? For me, a home is a place where I have peace. A home is a place where I go and I rest. But even as you think about that, think it this way. This is not our home. That one day we are going to leave this place and go be with the Lord. And this is what Revelation chapter 21 verse 2 and 4 says. Revelation 21 verse 2 and 4 says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with a man. He will dwell with them, and they will be with his people. And God himself will be with them and ask their God. And he will do what? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and the death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away, praise the Lord. You see, no more tears. No more death, mourning, crying, and pain. The tension, the longing for justice to come. It will come to an end. And that is a promise that we hold on to. And that is a promise that grounds us to even love him more and serve him more and know him more. All these things that we long for are going to come to an end. But it's also important to see how John's response at the end of Revelation should characterize our Christian living. He says this in Revelation chapter 22 verse 20. This is what John is saying. It says, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Amen. Come, Lord, come. That is a posture to say, even so, come. You see, we live in an amazing city where we can get probably everything we want, have probably the best cars. And somewhat that can be comfortable. Somewhat that can be a place where if I come and ask you today, do you want to go to heaven now? You will, you will, you will stammer a bit. Ah, well, well. Uh. You will wonder whether you want to go right now or wait. Some of us probably are going to say wait. And one of the reasons is because we have become comfortable with everything that we have. The posture then is as, as we wait, we long for him to come. And we should long for him to come, even as we wait upon him. You see, true Christianity trains us to live sober, upright, and godly lives in this world, awaiting our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. This is what Titus chapter 2 verse 12 and 13 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing what? Salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. Doing what? Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is how we wait, not just 
saying, I will not do anything, but as we wait for him, we wait in obedience. This is what John Frame says. John Frame draws our attention to the most important eschatological point. The word eschatology just just means uh, the study of the last things. But so far, he says this, so far as I can see, every Bible passage about the return of Christ is written for a practical purpose, not to help us develop a theory of history, but to motivate what? Our obedience. How we can obey as we wait for him, as we look for him. And so finally, this is how then Paul concludes this passage. He says in verse 18, he says, therefore, encourage one another with what? With these words. We've talked about grieving with hope. And then we've seen that Jesus is going to come back in a very spectacular way. And we are going to be with him forever. And then Paul is saying, encourage one another with these words. And that is how we should also do for ourselves. You see, Paul did not tell them to take comfort, but to give comfort. In the way God works, we always receive comfort as we give it. Pastor Bill last week did an amazing job to preach to us about comfort and suffering. But even as we learned that, we knew that we receive comfort so that we may give comfort as we have gone through suffering. With these words means that the truth of the return of Jesus for his people and the eternal union and his people is to be a source of comfort for Christians. And so, knowing all this, what do we do? I want you to look at your neighbor. And do not tell your neighbor, neighbor, that is not what I want you to do. <laughs> I don't want you to say anything. And I know this is sometimes can be weird because you're looking, maybe someone is not looking at you. But look at your neighbor on your right on your left and behind. Make sure you've seen their faces and they have, you have been seen also. I know, it can be very weird, oh, you know, so. One more time, do that one more time. <laughs> this is the point. Sometimes we may not know someone who is next to you. You probably do not even know their names, but you have come to church together. As I read these words, I want you to think about it. Because encouraging one another is very important. What do we do with what we have known today? It is to encourage one another. To bear one another's burden. To love one another. To pray for one another. Prefer one another. Serve one another. Because we need one another. As a family. And these very words that I've spoken that we have heard from Thessalonians... That is how we encourage each other to tell people that Jesus is coming back. That as he comes back, that is the message that is going to give us hope. That even those who are our loved ones who have gone before us, they are just but sleeping. One day we shall be with them and we shall be with our Savior forevermore. You see, death does not separate us from God. This is our primary hope. And our primary reason for thanksgiving. We are with the Lord waiting to see him. And to be with him forever. Because we will one day behold the magnificent Lord. Because he is coming back. There is a very sobering 
scripture that Paul writes down in Romans 14, 7 and 9. Romans 7, 14, 7 and 9 says, For no one of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord, both of the dead and the living. And then this Lord that we're talking about, one day, (laughs) we are going to see him. Might be today, but even more important, we shall be with him and spend eternity with him. Again, as I finish, I want to finish with Revelation 21 verse 4, which says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Whatever it is that excites you, gets you going. May his word, may the return of the Lord also cause you to want to know him more, to serve him more, and to love him more. That can also happen even today. I believe with all of my heart. And we shall see him, and we shall be with him to the glory and to the honor of his name. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for loving us, God, when we do not even deserve to be loved. We are sinful men. We have fallen short of your glory. Won't you have mercy on us today, God? Forgive us, Lord, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We come to you as you have reminded us so powerfully today that hope is only found in you. To believe that Jesus, you died and rose again, that you may be Lord of our lives. Thank you for reminding us that Jesus, you're coming, and we say, Maranatha, even so come, Lord Jesus, come. I pray the Lord we would also encourage one another with these words, Father. Be glorified. Be lifted, Jesus, that you may draw men to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray.